Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And I know I say this before every episode, but I am very excited for today's show because of the guests that we have on today. This is the co-host of the Sun Solar Panel. He is the king of snark, and he's honestly one of the nicest guys from the Sun's media room back when I first set foot in there in 2015. Mr. Greg Esposito, how are you doing today, Espo? I am good, and you always made it easy to be to be nice in that room. Uh, so, you know, don't take it too personally that I was nice. <laughs> Just kidding. No, always a pleasure. Glad to be here. Glad the, the new show is, uh, is going well and, and excited to be one of the, uh, one of the first guests you've had here. Yes, absolutely. Espo is known for his, uh, I love his comparisons on Twitter, but also he gives very honest takes about the team which is great because Espo Unleashed, ever since he has stopped working for the team, has been <laughs> a delight to witness. Um, yeah, I, I guess I had some pent-up takes for uh, <laughs> from five years of being with the organization and only being able to say certain things, sure. Yes, he was, he was ready to let fly. Um, but I'm excited for today's show. We're going to talk a little bit about Devin Booker's first week back. We're going to go into these Frank Kaminsky and DeAndre Ayton lineups that we're seeing. And then we're going to wrap up with our G-rated segment on HBO's movie, The Little Things. It's the new Denzel movie. And uh, so we've got a lot of good stuff to talk about. But let's start by recapping the week. Devin Booker is back and he looks pretty good coming off the hamstring injury that held him out for a couple of games. Uh, you know, he started off with that game winner against uh, the Dallas Mavericks. And then he had an okay game in the loss to the Pistons. I don't think, or I'm sorry, the uh, Pelicans. Nobody really played well in that game. And then he came back with another strong game against the Pistons and almost had a triple-double in today's game. We're recording this on Sunday against the Celtics. Um, Espo, does it kind of feel like Booker's making a, an underrated little all-star push there? Yeah, and in different ways than he has in the past. I mean, it was the scoring that, in the past was was what really put him on the radar for a lot of people but he's doing uh, the little things uh, still finding efficiency uh, the the interesting thing to me is he's putting in the effort on the defensive end which was again a knock but we haven't seen the best of of Devin Booker yet this season and and I still think he very much has a a shot to be one of the coaches picks in this all-star game, obviously not going to get voted in, especially after we saw those first returns, it would take uh, something otherworldly uh, to, to get him in. And I don't even think with the uh, family he associates with and their <laughs> prowess on social media, even that could uh, overcome what we've seen in the early voting. But uh, I certainly think he's there, the clutch factor. I mean, you can't really measure it. I know they've people have tried to with advanced analytics, but I still think it's it's one of those things. You know it when you see it, and Devin Booker has it. Uh, hits the game winner as you mentioned uh, the first game. He's back against Dallas uh, Sunday today as we're recording this. 
a huge clutch shot with uh, under a minute left to go in that fourth quarter uh, that, that gives the Suns, extends that lead and pretty much ends the game. He, he just has, has an unbelievable ability to, to do that and, and do that in big moments. And that's the mark of an all-star to me, you know, great. You average 28 points and your team loses. Okay. But Devin Booker, even when they were having the rough times, when they were within striking distance, he always did those little things to help them win. And he's continuing it this year uh, with a winning record. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up as far as, you know, having more of an impact despite the scoring prowess, not being quite what we're used to seeing from him. Um, You know, in the four games since he's been back, he's averaging 22 and a half points per game, I think. But, you know, shooting just under 48% from the field, just under 35% from three. And he's having more of those little moments like you're talking about where he just looks like the leader of a winning team. You know, what, what people have been criticizing him for as far as not being a winner, he's been showing up in some of those moments, especially over the last week, which has been good to see because he did kind of get off to that slow start to the season, him and CP3 trying to find their footing together. Um, so that's definitely been good to see. And the hamstring looks good so far, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't seem hampered by that. I still think uh, he's trying to figure himself out with, with CB three being the other star. I mean, this is the first time he's played with a legitimate star that he has to share the ball with, share the spotlight with, try to figure out how to do things. And I think we're probably still another five or 10 games away from being able to judge how that's all coming together because it takes time with two stars. And we've seen Chris Paul find his sea legs recently. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about having them both find them at, at the same time. We haven't, haven't quite gotten there, but look, Booker, I said this on Twitter at one point, and I think I upset some people, but <laughs> I, I don't particularly care if I, if I did Devin Booker scoring, 22 dishing seven assists grabbing six rebounds to me and they win is Mm -hmm. better than Devin Booker with 30 points and 10 assists and they lose. Mm -hmm. And and some people take that offensively as if I'm, I'm creating some narrative where, you know, (laughs) Devin Booker uh, is just a lesser player. And no, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. It's just simply if Devin Booker does the things that lead this team to victory and it doesn't mean he has to score 30 points, then so be it. Like, I don't, I don't need my star to lead the league in scoring uh, to feel good about him. And, and that's what I've liked about Devin Booker's game. Right. And that's, you know, as long as he's putting up okay numbers on a winning team, that's exactly what, people have been criticizing him for, for the past, you know, five years of his career. So it's great to see that flip. And in the Celtics game also, it was great to see him kind of uh, take charge early as far as being not just a scorer, but a distributor. Um, Because with Chris, Chris Paul entering the fold, it's been a little bit of give and take as far as who's running the offense, who's got the ball in their hands today. Booker just came out and was facilitating right from the jump. It seemed like. And that's, that's the benefit of having these two guys, right? You, you hope that when you, when you bring in a Chris Paul, that you wind up having that, like that's, that's, you want two guys that can be elite ball handlers that can distribute 
and that either of them can take over. I mean, if Chris Paul has an off night, your hope is Devin Booker fills that void and vice versa. And Devin Booker came out and willed them in a lot of ways to win today. And, and again, wasn't, wasn't the scoring, but you know, the assists, the rebounding, I thought was exactly what they needed. I mean, you look at it and he finishes with 18 points, but he has 11 assists, uh, seven rebounds. Like that's, Mm. that's huge. Those are the little things. And Chris Paul, you know, winds up with 15 points, but only has a, only has two assists. So Devin needed to, needed to fill that void and did it very well. So I, I, I'm not going to get, some people get bent out of shape because Devin isn't doing exactly what we've seen him do, but I, I will take this Devin Booker. This is still a superstar in my mind because he's doing this on a team that's 13 and nine, uh, you know, fighting for a top four seed in the West. That's exactly what he said he's wanted to do. And now he's, now he's accomplishing it. They're winning and he's putting up good stats. Yeah. And he kind of showed like the full spectrum too, which, you know, he didn't have, he wasn't having a great game against the Mavs when he hit that game winner. And then he came to life in the fourth quarter when they needed him to, I think he had like 15 of his 24 in the final period and then hits the game winner. Um, Then against the Pistons, they're up big. Detroit makes a run just like they did the last time. And Booker just completely takes over the game to kind of push momentum back in Phoenix's favor. And then today he was just on it from the jump. He played a very complete game, season high in assists. So really good, just kind of uh, all over the spectrum for Devin Booker this week as far as being a winner on a winning team. But unfortunately, somehow, Devin Booker is not our main story of the week <laughs> because we've got some uh, lineup changes in Phoenix this week. And part of it is due to injuries, obviously, with Jay Crowder dealing with a sore foot. Dario Saric banged up yet again. Um, he was going through COVID protocols. Now he's dealing with the ankle injury. And Cam Johnson was just, he was in a bit of a shooting slump in that starting unit. It wasn't quite working out. Um, when they made that change, they were trying to inject some energy and some, you know, up-tempo play into that starting group. Just wasn't panning out the way that they were hoping. So Monty Williams opted to go with a Frank Kaminsky, DeAndre Ayton starting front court. He did this after Zion tore the Suns up. Um, I think he had, I think he shot like 12 of 14 or something. And poor Cam Johnson was just on an island against this dude for most of the game. Um, Espo, your thoughts on this starting lineup and where we might be going from here moving forward? It's 2 and 0, so I'm not going to complain <laughs> about it. You ride the hot hand. Look, look I, I think this works for a short period of time, and I think the thinking behind it is solid. I mean, Monty has taken a lot of criticism for his rotations, but he's looked at things and he said, Look, a glaring weakness is, is starting cam johnson at power forward or even potentially jay crowder because they're just not the the size in particular cam johnson just isn't this isn't the the size that that you're hoping for whether it's you know weight or height at at that position when you're going up against teams that that are going to run two bigs and we're seeing more of it like everybody was like oh it's a you know it's a smaller game but there's a lot of teams that that still are running bigger lineups and that doesn't mean you can just ignore it. You hope the mismatches 
uh, you know, would have, would have played in your favor, but they just weren't early on. So, so now they're looking at it. And, and I think Monty made the right choice here and going with Frank basically, because it's his only choice. You're not going Damian Jones and apparently sticks is lost somewhere. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know he may be there uh, <laughs> physically, but uh, I guess the player himself isn't, isn't there because he's not seeing any of these minutes over Damian Jones, which is, you know, basically a mannequin with a uniform on it right now. Uh, just not, not a guy that I understand why is, is getting minutes. So Frank's the, the logical choice out of, out of those lesser options. But I believe Monty said it today that where would they be without Frank? Right. When you look at it, and it's true. Frank Kaminsky has stepped up when they've needed him to. Yeah, he hasn't always been great, but you don't expect the guy that was supposed to be your your third guy in, in the depth chart for, from, uh, from a big man standpoint to always have on games, but he's come out and he's done the things to help this team win, kind of like we saw Aaron Baines do last year, not necessarily to that level, but where there was a need and a guy steps up and fills it in. And Frank is doing that very admirably, especially over the last six games. He's, he's really stepped in and done that. But long-term, I think they have to find depth at that position. And I think they're going to have to do it. It's not, this is not going to be, oh, magically it's fixed because Dario is back. You know, like Dario Saric is a nice player, but to me, and I know, again, this will upset some people. He's not a backup center. Like it, it, mm. he can, he can play facilitator from a big man spot on that, uh, on that bench lineup. But I don't think starting him next to Deandre Ayton is the, is the answer necessarily with this group. Uh, I, I think they have to look at externally at some point. If, if the hope is to be a top five seed in the West and potentially win a series or two, which I think is the best case scenario. I mean, you could have a magical dream run where this mm-hmm. team, everything clicks and, and they make a finals run like Miami last year. But to me, the one trying to be a top five team and win a series, maybe two is, is the goal. And to do that, I think you still need another piece. I, I think yeah, it was Collins out of Atlanta that I mentioned on, the solar panel this weekend as a guy that is intriguing to me uh, because the problem still is cap space. When you look at it, there's not a lot of flexibility here. Right. So you have to find a guy that is cheap enough and good enough to play. I think Collins checks both those boxes. The question is, is what does Atlanta want back? Obviously how much are you willing to give up those kind of things, but that kind of a move doesn't mortgage the future necessarily, but it bolsters the present. And, and to me, that's what you're trying to do. These next two years are an audition with CP3 to prove that you want to win, that the franchise is capable of doing it. And then you're likely going to wind up using that money you're going to save from him being a free agent in, in two years to try to bring in that next great piece at, at a younger age. And you have to prove yourself over the next two. So I'm going, I'm going all in in these next two years to, to try to prove it. And that's the kind of move uh, that would show that to the rest of the league because Kaminsky's best place is as a backup big mm-hmm. and, and as a backup in that second unit. And this, I think that's Sarich too. I think you could play some combination of those guys together in a second unit, but you're going to hurt yourself if you're playing them uh, against starters on a regular basis. 
Right. And, and I think that's important to note is that with this Kaminsky Aiton pairing, Monty was kind of in between a rock and a hard place as far as what his potential options were with Sharich and Crowder, both sidelined. Um, and I, I think it's important to hear from his mouth himself, what he had to say about this with our quote of the week. Well, I think that's going to be um, the way we're going to do this going forward because we're, you know, we're seeing all these teams who are big and um, they're playing big power forwards and, and points in the paint and, and production in the paint has been something that we've wanted to, you know, nullify as it relates to playing against teams like that. And so I just felt like we needed more size. Uh, <clears throat> also felt like I put Cam in a tough spot, you know, playing against guys like Zion and, you know, Paul Millsap and all these teams that go big. And so we were just trying to match size for size. Um, it may be a deal where we change it up, you know, for the rest of the season, depending on who we're playing against at that position. Cause that, that's the position that changes. It's just where we are, you know, with, with COVID, with injuries, um, you know, I'm watching guys minutes. We got a ton of games in a certain amount of days, but you're just looking for, you know, a group that can be productive. But, and, and you're also looking at the matchups with the other team. Okay. So he notes that they're going to roll with this lineup moving forward, but he also kind of gave himself an opening to where he can change it up. And then today before the Celtics game, he politely declined to give his starting five. So I think he's uh, I think he's well aware of the criticism that that kind of starting duo has generated. Um, I'm not a big fan of kind of, because in that quote, he kind of emphasizes that he wants to leave himself openings depending on the matchup. I'm not a big fan of like for stability's sake, not having just a go-to starting five and I think eventually for this team to reach its ceiling, you need to go back to, unfortunately, the starting five that, you know, statistically was not very good together with Crowder at the four. I think that's how you maximize this group, because as we've noted, Kaminsky and Sharich are better coming off the bench. Um, Cam Johnson has been really good off the bench, but not so good in the starting lineup. Maybe that's just missed shots, but it seems like at some point they're going to have to iron out some of those chemistry issues that we saw with that original starting unit. Um, so he's left himself an opening and the numbers early on have been just okay. So, so far um, heading into today's game, they were a minus five and 25 minutes together. Those eight and Kaminsky lineups over seven games. And then today they were a plus 11 Um so that's, I mean, that's pretty good. Or I'm sorry, they were a plus 16 and 18 minutes together today. So that kind of skews the numbers to make it seem like it's a positive, but that could just be entirely matchup dependent or one game fluke type of deal. So I'm interested to see where that lineup goes. Um, I, I think Sharich is best as a backup five. I do disagree with you on that. But I think either way, if you have Kaminsky and Sharich coming off the bench there, those are two guys that have been called connectors by Monty multiple times. He loves that word connector. And when you have all bench units out there, he's good about staggering, but when you have mostly bench units out there, you want guys that can pass the ball the way that those and shoot the ball the way that those two bigs can. So it'll be interesting to monitor how much longer he sticks with this lineup for 
I think the Suns have played a lot of teams that have bigger front courts, so it's it's worked and it's made sense against them. But when they play teams with more modern fours, I am interested to see how Kaminsky and or Aiton hold up with those defensive matchups. Yeah, and I think he strategically left himself the out because he realizes, <laughs> you know, what we were talking about. You know, this is a, a temporary fix that the thought pattern's right, but the answer isn't necessarily uh, the long term one. So I, I, I applaud him for smartly not just going. This is what we're doing, you know, because yeah. you see so many coaches do that and then stick with it so much longer than they should because they were just hard and fast. This is what we're doing, and they don't want to look like they're wrong. I think Monty is smart and going, we'll see. This is what we're doing right now. And you ride the hot hand, obviously, but yes, eventually, if you don't make a move, I think you have to go back to that uh, Crowder, the lineup with Crowder at, with the starters. That's that's the one that you kind of logically default to. It checks more of the boxes than with, with Cam Johnson and I think you need that second unit with with Cam, with Sarge, with Frank, especially when you, yes, they'll stagger minutes. So sometimes you'll have Booker or CP3 with them, but overall you don't really have that true backup point guard either. Right. So you need, you need guys to, to Monty's point that are connectors. So we'll see. I mean, 13 and nine, and they have yet to play their best basketball. <laughs> They've right. yet to figure out, their rotations. Uh, and so that's all got to be encouraging because it could easily, a lot of teams when you have that situation are, are the reverse or worse. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and this team is still well in the, in the playoff hunt for the top half of the West and, and it hasn't clicked. So that excites yeah. me in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, Crowder in that starting role, he's going to be at a size and length disadvantage most nights but he, i think he makes up for it in strength a lot better than some of these guys and it's encouraging that in the celtics game today monty didn't feel the need just to close out with that starting group i, I mean kaminsky left the game in the third quarter and actually didn't play in the fourth because monty rolled with cam johnson so it's, it's good that he's showing that he can be flexible and kind of tailor those matchups depending on what he's actually seeing out there um but I think that's going to do it for Suns Talk today. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. Okay, so for today's G-rated segment, I'm actually excited about this, even though I didn't particularly enjoy the movie. Um, Espo was actually the one who recommended this to me and put it on my radar because I totally forgot it was coming out so soon. Um, HBO's The Little Things, starring Denzel Washington, uh, Rami Malek and Jared Leto. So it's about this crooked cop. Uh, dad bod Denzel, actually. He's, they really emphasize that he's got a dad bod in this. But um, he's trying to wrap up an old serial killer investigation, one that he took personally. You know, a lot of kind of tropes in this genre that we've seen before. But for me, it kind of felt like they literally took the plot of seven and then made it a little bit less interesting. I don't, let's, let's get your thoughts on it because I know that I was not in, not very impressed despite the trio of actors that they had to headline this thing. Let me just talk about WandaVision. I think that tells you <laughs> what I thought about this. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm ashamed that I suggested this. And then uh, I'm just going to admit it. It was so bad. I fell asleep twice on two different occasions really? trying to. Yeah, I watched, <laughs> tried to watch it over two nights and fell asleep. So I never actually made it fully to the end because that's how boring this film was. I, oh, man. I don't I didn't understand to your point. It very fell very much into the tropes. Right. Mm-hmm. Denzel felt like he was playing a photocopy of a photocopy of a guy he's played a million times in other in, in other movies at times uh, remy malik was just bizarre like he's such a good actor and they gave him mm. such a weird like he was just such a vanilla uh, character in, mm. in most of it jared leto they do the thing where you know in all these you're younger than me so maybe i'm dating myself here but in in the early 2000s there were all these teen movies where there was always the the girl who was not not the cute girl she was the nerd and then they then they give them a give a makeover and all of a sudden yep. she's the prettiest girl in school they did the reverse in this movie right jared yeah. leto looks <laughs> the same as he usually does but they put a fake like beer gut on him and, and, and like you're like no i don't buy that like you didn't you couldn't ugly up jared leto a little bit you just went Nah, that's the, that's the same guy that everybody's like. Hey, he's, he's got that attractive quality, but he's got a beer gut now. Like it just it, the whole thing just felt very <laughs> cheesy. Felt like one of those movies that they sat on for years and mm-hmm. then went. Well, we got nothing else to release because of everything going on. Let's just throw this one out in the theaters and on HBO Max and hope we uh, and we get some attention because there's all these big names in it. I, I just yeah. And to your point, it did very much feel like a really lazy version of seven, which is like the worst kind of movie you could have, because if you do that lazy, it's just ridiculous. And that's from the three quarters of this movie I made the way through. (laughs) That's what it felt like. And I'm sure there's some twist at the end that I'm not aware. Oh, there is. (laughs) And I'm sure it's still just boring. And you went, Oh, okay. Well, I guess that was kind of worth making it to the end of this for. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to spoil the ending for you since it doesn't Please sound do. like you'll be revisiting. It. <laughs> um, no. So basically, I don't know what part you got to, but they have Jared Leto has Rami Malik out in the middle of this desert digging holes looking for these victims. It's ambiguous as to whether in the end Jared Leto actually killed anyone or whether he's just because they say that he came into the prison to confess to or to the station to confess to a murder and in the past and it wound up not being him at all so he's just like one of those serial killer nuts and then he's got this cop out in the desert digging holes looking for these victims by himself without backup mind you which you have to suspend your disbelief that this cop is just going to get into the car with someone who may have killed people and drive off into the middle of nowhere with no backup um he's digging he's digging and jared leto's just egging him on like rubbing it in that all these girls are dying and that he can't even protect these other girls how can he be a father and protect his own daughters and rami malik snaps and wheels around and just whops him in the face with the shovel and kills him and then denzel magically finds them because you know rami malik was smart enough to leave the gate unlocked on this dirt road that they were leaving to so that's how he finds him because he notices oh the gate's unlocked so he well, let, and let me guess 
Yeah. Denzel helps him bury the body and they drive <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Denzel helps him hide the body. He <laughs> walks him through what he needs to say because part of the twist is that back in the day, Denzel actually killed one of the people I think he was searching for because he thought, you know, he heard footsteps or whatever and automatically shot and it wound up not being the killer, but one of the victims he was looking for. And then the coroner helped them cover it up. And that's why he's basically this, this disgraced cop, but it's secret that he killed this person. So the, the twist at the end, I don't know if you remember, but one of the, the missing girl that they were looking for, the one that hadn't turned up dead yet, she had like a red beret. And at the end of the film, like Rami Malek is struggling to hide what he did. And he gets this letter from this just envelope from Denzel. And it says, no guardian angels. And inside is a red beret. And then at the very end, it shows Denzel, you know, disposing of what's left of the evidence. And then he throws this newly bought pack of berets that's missing one beret into the fire as well. <laughs> so it's, it's basically like, oh, okay, he bought the beret to make him think that this guy actually, that Jared Leto actually did kill the victims and, and kind of fix his guilt. I, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't watch it without help think like, why did they just do the same premise as seven? Because in seven, they basically have the serial killer lead them out to where the victim is. And then the twist is that the serial killer gets the cop to act like a killer. It's the same thing, just way less interesting. And like 30 years later, <laughs> and don't... nobody screams what's in the box. So we don't have yes. anything to quote with this one. There's no iconic know... line. <laughs> None of it. You didn't think when when uh, Denzel says, says to Remy, it's about the little things, but oh, that God. wasn't an icon. <laughs> you know you it's bad when you get the really cheesy, I'm going to say the name of this movie so yep. we can cut it into the trailer. <laughs> it felt like, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen Entourage, but when they're trying to put together these ridiculous movie scripts with like random actors and they just like clump this idea in together into a movie just to get a movie made. That's what this movie felt like. Like 20 years, we're going to look back and be like Denzel, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto together in a serial killer movie. And it just made absolutely no sense. Like, it's going it to be one of those free good. movies on that, like Tubi app that you're like, huh, <laughs> I never saw this one. There's all these great actors. Sure, it's free. And then you go, why yep. did I just spend any time on that? And, yeah. Uh, I, I, I unfortunately expected... paid $15 a month to have the privilege of, of seeing it thanks to <laughs> HBO Max. But uh, somebody will watch it free eventually and feel the same way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, this is the second movie that I've watched and was excited to watch on HBO Max, the first being Wonder Woman 1984. And this is the second straight time I've been disappointed. So I'm, I'm hoping the next one that's going to hit HBO Max, I think next week is Judah and the Black Messiah, or Judas and the Black Messiah. And I'm very excited for that one. So hopefully that one's better. Because I just, and that's the thing is like, I want to like Jared Leto and respect him as an actor. But there were a couple of scenes that I weren't sure. I wasn't sure if they were supposed to be funny or they were unintentionally funny. And that's always awkward. I, I think it was unintentionally funny. I, <laughs> I, I feel like Jared Leto has to be a very specific character in a very specific kind of movie to be good. I mean, I think it was so Dallas not the Buyers Joker. <laughs> not Joker, no. No, and I'm... Speaking of HBO Max and things that we're excited or not excited for, <laughs> Justice League for four yes. hours does not <laughs> peak my, I'll watch it, 
he's gonna be a yep. huge dc comic nerd but or mm-hmm. dc movie nerd but i i know i'm gonna hate myself for it <laughs> and the fact that they teased jared leto being in it it probably is just going to upset me more when I see this whole thing. It's just, <laughs> I, it, Dallas Buyers Club feels like the only thing we've really, I mean, I might be forgetting mm-hmm. something, but that feels like the, the thing that, that obviously gives Leto, uh, you know, credence here to, to, to be in these kind of movies, but man, you, you can put a lot of lipstick on a pig in, in this movie. You got a lot of talent. You can say uh, Oscar award winning and Oscar nominee a million times. It's not going to make this one anymore entertaining for anybody watching it so no and that's i, I miss old school 30 seconds to mars jared leto this new jared leto <laughs> i just not a big fan and i felt like that's what disappointed me is like there was potential there not just with the actors but they had these dueling plot lines like one was focused on denzel and like the whole crooked cop angle and what's his real motivation for trying to solve these these crimes and then the other one was the actual murder mystery, which they left totally ambiguous. And I, I felt like it was trying to be compelling and just never hit on either one of those plot threads. So well, yeah, there was there was that scene with Denzel in the in the rundown motel while he's trying to sleep. And yeah. he, he mm-hmm. sees that these people from this case he hasn't solved and like it, it's haunting him. And I felt like they never. Mm-hmm. They never yeah. really did any, a whole lot with that either. Like no. you, you look at it and you go, this guy could be certifiably crazy based on what he's gone through <laughs> as yeah. well. And they just kind of brush over it. It's like you get right. another line when he's talking with Malik later on, where he's like, you know, these cases, once you have them, they're yours and they live with you. And it's like, okay, I get that that ties back to that, but give me something more with that. Like this yeah. felt like the, the screenwriter, had this idea he pitched it and then he realized it was due and like a week and a half before it was due he went i guess i gotta try to figure out how to make this one interesting you know i yep. just didn't you know i i i yeah i i just there's there was very little i the premise seemed intriguing i fell for mm. another marketing department cutting oh, same. you know 45 <laughs> seconds out of out of two hours and, and and me going oh yeah this will be a good two hours and you go no that was a good 45 seconds and that's about all they had. So, yeah. Well, I mean, so I think we're both on the same page as this being a low score, but I'm curious what your score is going to be. So for my rating system, people have gotten mad at me about this in the past. Cause if I really like something, I'll give it a 10 out of 10, but for the purposes of this show that, you know, that'd be boring if I just gave everything I liked a perfect score. So I, I usually go like five is subpar six is mediocre seven good eight great nine amazing and then 10 is like a masterpiece so for this movie i'm gonna give it a final score my g rating is a 5.5 out of 10 what what would you give it based on what you saw (laughs) you're far kinder than me i will give this a michael beasley a zero Oh man, yeah, a whole zero. I I'm giving it <laughs> the Michael Beasley number. If I, I yeah, a big old zero, like yeah. uh, I just we're we're six episodes in and we're already making history on this segment. It's <laughs> incredible. I, I couldn't I could not find anything for D. I'm a movie nut. I love mm-hmm. watching movies, and the fact that I literally could not get through this one. This this may be, I I think it's one of two movies I can ever remember that I just gave up on. Yeah, I think the. The other one was a, a Patrick Swayze meatloaf trucker movie that I gave up on uh, in, in the 2000s. And, and 
So uh, this is the second one. So it's got to get a zero for me just from that. Oh, that's great. Well, very excited for next week's uh, or the next episode's G-rated segment. We're going to be taking a look at Malcolm and Marie, which just came out on Netflix. Um, but Espo, thank you so much for joining the show. I'm really glad we got to have you on. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this show, I'm sure you probably already follow the Sun Solar Panel, but uh, tell the people where they can follow you just in case if they don't already. Yeah, you can follow me at Espo, and then uh, the show is at Sun Solar Panel. Uh, would appreciate the follow, but uh, just make sure you keep listening to this show too. Another quality uh, product that General's putting out there. I love, I've loved his writing for a long time. Glad to have him in the uh, the podcast space, even though that gives us 45 Suns podcasts now currently, <laughs> currently out there. Uh, but the more the merrier is enough fans and we all are looking for for content so i really appreciate it gerald and please have me back when the uh, justice league drops we don't even have to talk suns we can just break down (laughs) break down justice league i have a feeling you may get another zero uh from me so that sounds like a great time and thank you for the kind words because sun solar panel is one of the prominent sun's podcast that i've been listening to and i'm not much of a podcast guy but i do listen to that one and you guys have helped set uh, a high bar for me to try to live up to so thank you again for appearing on the show uh that's going to do it for today's episode of the valley of the suns podcast please subscribe tell your friends write me a review with a couple of shows that you're watching uh until next time this is joe borgay signing off